Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. Matt, we're still doing the previews. We're back for a second preview. We're not going anywhere. I'm just saying we're back for number two. Mm-hmm. But ominous there. MWR.com, you can find we're starting out our team early previews. So some of these uh, non-conference games, you'll, hit, you'll get some extra information from us and other guys. We're talking San Diego State today. We've got our, we're talking Aztecs. It's, this was, Matt, a blow-up this week. It was wild. That's true. They um, Shoot, I don't have it in front of you. Who did they beat out? Was it Boise State and somebody else, the final three? And Hawaii. Okay. I... I was shocked. Aztec fans are passionate, but then also our buddies Raj and Eric and Colin like, hey, don't vote yet for Boise, guys. Let's save them till the end. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. But we're talking Aztecs today. Second of 12 previews here. We're hitting, sitting here the first week of May. Middle oh, middle of May, I guess, now. End of May, properly. What are we going to uh, – everything's going to change for these previews, possibly, right? Like, there's going to be some random transfer come in or leave the program. Like, well, let's go back and edit that. But – well, that's why we that's why we encourage people to go to mwire.com to stay up on all the latest transfer news, uh, random random stuff we got. Well, some fun stuff going on, but you're correct. All right, so San Diego State last year, we'll start with as we typically do. They started off really good because remember the Hawaii game at where they just scored all the points. We're doing extremely well, but then the second half of the season, um, injuries and. What else had issues? Because they were not very good the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on on how you choose to look at the season because, you know, on the whole, they're in – I mean, obviously there's some personnel turnover that we'll get to in a few minutes. But I think in the grand scheme of things, they're sort of in the same spot that they were this time a year ago when we were having the same preview, you know, last summer. But, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily a good or a bad thing because, you know, early in the schedule last year, they they did a lot to, you know, convincingly beat teams that they probably should have beaten convincingly. You know, they, mm-hmm. they opened up with really big wins against both UNLV and Utah State, the latter which was on the road. And, you know, even though the, the final score says they lost to San Jose State by 11, you know, that is sort of deceptive because, the, you know, I think the Spartans had a late touchdown that, that – made it more than just a one-score game. You know, you mentioned the big win they had over Hawaii. And then the wheels kind of came off when they lost that game to Nevada. Second half specifically, I would say. And they had every opportunity to win that game. And that was pretty much the story of of the rest of their season. Is You know, even though, you know, the other games they lost down the stretch at Colorado, at BYU, you know, they lost by 10, they lost by 14 – they had opportunities in both of those games. 
And what it really came down to was just, you know, drastic offensive inefficiencies. And you look at the, you know, just in terms of like yards per play is maybe the most straightforward way of looking at things. In the first four games of the year, actually I should maybe just extend it, you know, in the first five games of the year, they averaged at least 4.8 yards per play, you know, including you know, a couple of big performances, like I said early on, against Colorado, 2.6. Even in their win against Colorado State, they only averaged 3.4. And even and even though they had an uptick at the end against BYU, averaging over five yards play, you know you could see that there were problems that they weren't ever able to find a resolution for. Like you know they were basically among the teams that played more or less a full schedule last year. The only team in the FBS that was worse at turning red zone conversions into touchdowns was Syracuse. Yikes. Anywhere in the country. You know, they were, you know, number one on defense in terms of yards per play allowed. Um, and it wasn't even close in the conference. Uh, they were a half yard ahead of the Rams, essentially. Um, they were ninth on offense in terms of yards per play. And even when you dive deeper into the, like the advanced analytics, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier in the preseason or in the post, in the offseason rather. But like SP plus, for example, is, is a metric that we often bring up. Um, in terms of overall SP plus, they actually finished ahead of the conference champions last year. You know, they finished five spots ahead of San Jose State. Well, they were seven. They were seventh on defense. Yeah, they were seventh on defense and 119th on offense. That's a big spread. And and that more or less holds true whether you were looking at, you know, whether you're a fan of FEI, what Brian Fremo is over doing over there at BF, uh, BCF Toys, um, or you know, uh, you know, Stats of War on Twitter has a has a new website that he's building out, uh, CFB-Graphs.com. And I think I was I was doing some research and preparing for this particular podcast. And one thing that I think tells the entire story of of the 2020 Aztecs are you how familiar are you with the 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 EPA statistic expected points added? Uh, not too familiar. So explain it to everybody and myself. So I'm going to try to explain it. Um, you may be better served by trying to Google it while I'm talking or after the podcast. But the overall idea is that it's meant to try and capture what a team does in a in any given situation anywhere they are on the field. And sorry, so like, you said it was like, oh, really quick. Expected points added. Yeah. Okay. So making sure I'm looking at the right thing. So, like, if you run a Google search for like college football EPA, you'll find a lot of different definitions. So, like, for example. When a team is like second and ten at their own twenty, you wouldn't expect them to, to do to do much most of the time. But if they rip off an eighty-yard touchdown run, then like that's huge for their expected points added, right? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so CFB graphs has the split in terms of offense versus defense, and far and away the Aztecs were number one on defense last year, number one in the country. Problem was they were one hundred and twenty-fourth on offense. And as a result, they, in, in terms of like EPA margin, they were actually the below the national average. They were 107th overall, slightly in the negative. That's how bad their offensive woes were last year. Yeah. And so, you know, going into 2021, when I say not much has changed and whether that's a good or a bad thing, it really comes down to just running it back and trying to address a lot of the same questions that we were talking about this time last year. 
it's not just last year, it's like the past decade, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, there's no arguing that they, they haven't had successes. Like, you know, Christian Chapman was not necessarily explosive, but he was efficient. I would say he's maybe the best quarterback they've had since, Ryan you know, Lee. Ryan Katz or, or something like that. So like, you know, they had the stretch where they won 10 games, but you know, the reason they've been a lot closer to 500 for most of the last few years is that these problems have persisted. And it's because like with their defense, like you, you look at the SP plus like disparity, <laughs> their defense carries the team. So think mm-hmm. of it this way: If you want to look at another team that's probably similar, like look what, what just like a Mike Leach team, what he's done. His offense will probably be really, really good. Defense, who cares? And so when that offense struggles, or in this case, San Diego State, their defense struggles, there's not a way to make up or stay as productive when your best unit falters and your other unit, which is already what bottom ten percent, mm-hmm. can't make it the slack. That's, yeah. And that's why I keep saying, if you're just a little bit better here and there, a lot of these teams could be really good. Yeah, so, you know, they're entering a situation where they're, they're losing just enough pieces from last year's elite unit. Let's, like, let's not beat around the bush. That defense was elite. That you have to wonder, you know, if the offense can't take a step forward and they don't have an answer for the regression that they are likely to see on the other side of the ball. What is that going to mean for their ceiling and maybe more importantly, what their floor could be in 2021? Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It, it, like, they're going to be good. It's just, like, like I would say they're, I mean, their competitive window is open, but I think they're, they might be on shakier ground than they have been in the last couple of years. Yeah. Here's the thing. When you mentioned those first couple of games, and we'll kind of go by position each, but kind of, this is a big overview. When Greg Bell got hurt, the wheels fell off on this team, essentially. Yeah. And so, like I mentioned, that Hawaii game where he 160 yards. He had four games he started and played over 100-plus yards. Mm-hmm. Then he only got 40 versus Nevada. And Nevada was a little bit interesting because Lucas Johnson played well, then he got hurt and couldn't keep going. And that was a game they could have won as well. They could have had two more wins on the schedule. And even that BYU game, they had chances of driving the ball just turned it over. Like, when they yeah. were getting close, they couldn't do anything. So, that's the thing. It's health. But also, should we just get the quarterback? We talked about yeah. stuff. Spring football, they had, okay, I get spring stats. Usually it's like have the dumpster emojis, like who cares? You know, no, you know when you really care when they'll play bad. When they when they'll play fine and good, it's like, oh, who cares? But when they play bad, I take more into that than they'll play good. Even with the Aztecs defense that we know is going to be really good. And so I feel if Lucas Johnson is anywhere close to that first half of Nevada, they're going to be really good. But we don't know. He got hurt. And then spring football, what do they all could be, like 30% of their passes or something? It, I mean, like, it was definitely under 50%. I know we talked about this about a month ago. We're recording terrible. this on May 27th. And that's, like, that's a problem. Like, I, you should, like, the, the quarterback competition, we're going to know it's going to go in the fall camp. It's mm. going to be, I still like Lucas Johnson the most, but it's going to be him, Jordan Brookshire, or, or Jalen Maiden. But Brookshire didn't show me much last year either. He had 50 yards passing. I know Colorado's defense is good. He had 50 versus them, 130 versus CSU, who's not that great. And then BYU, he actually showed up with 230. They just couldn't move, punch the ball in. Like, mm-hmm. he, he, those two have the most playing time. But to me, it's like, it's Johnson or Bust, because the potential with him for what he did, there's no reason he shouldn't be the starter. That's who I definitely lean with. And that's highly going to impact how I'm going to pick for, like, record wise and when, who they're going to beat and lose to. Because, mm-hmm. Like, am I, is it too much, too much hype to say that first half of Nevada was probably their best QB performance in a decade? 
like for what he did, it was amazing. I mean, I don't know if I would go that far. Like Christian Chapman did nothing close to that. Come on. But I w- but I would say that the offense as a whole rarely looked better overall than in that first half against Nevada. Yes, agree. And so I think, you know, that's really where you have to start thinking about it, where, you know, if, if Lucas Johnson gets a, a clean bill of health, you know, I think there's enough of a small sample size where, like, we don't really know what his ceiling is. Yeah. But I, I think it, but I think his floor is, is a lot higher than what we saw from Carson Baker for most of the, for oh, most geez. of the season. Don't, don't, oh, don't get me started on him. Get and I think the, I think the upside is too that, you know, even if there's no proven entities just yet, I think the quarterback depth is maybe a lot more secure than we're accustomed to seeing in San Diego State in years past as well. Because even if the stat line didn't necessarily blow people away, I would sort of contend that Jordan Brookshire held his own uh, against BYU, which was a, a yeah, very stingy defense. defense in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't necessarily his fault that they they blew that game. Um and and that doesn't even get into the fact that they also brought in a transfer from an SEC school, Jalen Maiden, who seems to fit the bill that of a of a kind of quarterback that we're that we haven't really seen in uh in years past, where all three of those guys share a, a certain kind of athleticism. They're they're all very sturdily built as well. Like they're all six two, six three, like two ten, two twenty. So they, they they all physically are the kind of guy who guys who can you know, maybe not only pass more efficiently than we've seen, but can have a hand in contributing on the ground as well. And so, like, I mean, I hesitate to throw the comp out there, but, like, if if any one of those guys could be like Marcus McMarion, for example, yeah. you know, during his run at Fresno State back in 27 and 2018, I'm assuming that, that is probably the, the type of quarterbacking that Brady Hoke and offensive coordinator Jeff McClinsky are looking for from whoever ends up winning that job. Um, and, and they, of course, they have other options, uh, in, uh, possibly under center as well. Like they have, you know, Will Haskell, the true freshman. They have a couple of redshirt freshmen as well. But obviously we're gonna have to wait and see how it, how, you know, how the competition goes in fall camp. I think I'm probably with you or like if, if I had to make the decision today, I would probably choose Johnson as well. But I think that even if Hoke wants to have a quick hook early in non-conference play, if he wants to play this competition out in a live competition, then I think they have more interesting options than you might have said in years past. Yeah, because you, like Brookshire completed, I think, what, 65%, 62, or actually, here it is, 63% in those two games, BYU and CSU. And mm-hmm. again, they don't have to have Jalen made in there, like, or made it, like, what are they going to do with him when he actually throws the ball? It's going to be, out of all the quarterback competitions, like, this one... It's pretty intriguing. There's quite a few. You got Utah State. You have this one. You have uh, oh, I know we mentioned a ton before. Um, what else do we got here? Uh, nothing. She's uh, New Mexico. There's just all the players. UNLV, whatever. This QB competition is going to be could like almost decide how it's going to decide how good these Aztecs are. And they open with New Mexico State, so there's an opportunity in that game to well, let's play two guys maybe and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we're right to lean and say it's Johnson because what we've seen. We know we have a Johnson for the most part. We know we have a Brookshire for this team. But, again, it's when you bring in the two – the freshmen come in during the summer and then the transfers, it's like, well, it's – I don't think Haskell's going to get a chance to start, even though they say, well, he'll, everybody's a chance. Not. I'm like, no, he's not going to start. And 
Brookshire did enough to earn a competition spot. But again, you're right. The floor for Lucas Johnson is what we've pretty good ceiling TBD, but it's pretty good. I think as well. Again, mm-hmm. it's like made like, does he come in, in August and tear it up in practice? I think it'll be either Maiden or Johnson. It'll be the starting mm-hmm. quarterback. That's what I, I, I guess. I guess we'll wait and see, but I think it is it critical. <laughs> I think it's critical that they get the answer right sooner rather than later. Because when you look elsewhere on the offense, it's it's not like they're starting over on that side of the ball. They're actually pretty deep elsewhere, you know, in in every other unit. So like if if you want to start by shifting to running backs, we already talked about Greg Bell and the impact that he made when he was healthy. So you have to imagine that if he can if he can stay there, then you know he's maybe on the short list of, of guys who. You know, we, we talked in, in the Nevada preview about how Carson Strong is probably the pick for preseason offensive player of the year. Yeah. But if Bell stays healthy, he could probably make a case for being the postseason player of the year when all is said and done. Yeah, and you look at Athlon put up their all-conference team recently. Mm-hmm. They put him as, like, all-purpose running back, or an all-purpose slash running back, second-team offense. Because running back, again, it's going to be huge. Like, Ronnie Rivers, Xavier Valaday. Wherever you put Calvin Turner, you know what I mean. Whatever he is, mm-hmm. Charles Williams, George Shalani, Greg Bell, like there's even Toatala, like and whoever's in the Air Force, like Brad Roberts. There's yeah. a ton of good running backs in this conference, and maybe Tyler Nevins makes a big jump from Spartans. So, but you're right, like watching what he did versus Hawaii, the cutbacks and how many yards per game he had per play, like how explosive he is. He, I think he's one of the guys. If it's a non-quarterback, he has to be pretty high, like him. Ronnie Rivers, just because what their versatility can bring to the to this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Bell I think is especially important relative to a lot of other running backs in the conference, just because you know we talk about first half, second half, and last year, and Bell basically went off. I think he was he was the first running back in program history to go over 100 yards in his first four starts, which is not insignificant, I guess. I would well, say. this team, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> But I think there's also a, a case to be made, like if they want to keep him fresh, like he and, and for as good as he was last year, he still only averaged 16 carries per game, yeah. and that was because you know the guys behind him on the depth chart, you know, also had quietly better years than I think a lot of people may have noticed at first glance. Like you know, Chance Bell averaged nearly five yards a carry, Kagan Williams. Averaged almost five yards a carry. Jordan Bird was, you know, definitely boomer bust. He averaged over six yards a carry. So between those four guys, you know, as a team, and again, this is skewed because of quarterback sacks and everything, but you, all of a sudden you're looking at a four deep running back roster where all four of those guys combined averaged uh, at least five yards a carry. And that's where he started looking at the passing game. And it's like, okay, well, if they could just find any kind of answer at quarterback, to complement this very strong running game, that's really it's it's just like the mind boggles of what could happen, you know, to unlock that offense as a whole. You're right. Like that's that's a big deal. Like we, the, how we played the first four games. It's it's going to go as what they go. Like the running game. It's all. It's this is nothing new. Like if you've listened to us or if you're Aztec fan, you know if the running back game goes well, we're going to go well, right? Mm-hmm. And the depth is a bit different this year, but like, but that's the kind of how it went last year. Like overall, it's going to be one of the better running units for health wise. It's you don't you can't predict health. Like oh, who's going to be healthy? Who's not? All that type of stuff. But you're right. Like if he's only getting 18 carries, 16 carries for the season, but they have plenty of guys like, like all the players you mentioned. 
it's going to be Bell, both Bell players, Greg and Chance back there, who are going to lead the way, and mm-hmm. Bird too, because they have the kind of the odd thing. It's like if you're looking at depth overall, it's probably the best unit in the conference, just about for how deep it goes, right? It's like, definitely in the conversation. Yeah, like the, we mentioned Nevada last time, Devonte Lee and uh, Toatawa, and that's Air Force, obviously, just because they have multiple guys. But there's not many that can go. And I guess with uh, Wyoming, because uh, Trey Hall's back and you guys even validate, but it's up there, and. I think what they really need to be, say there is a health issue at some point. Maybe I'm just out there. Last year, we didn't think there, I didn't think there'd be an issue with these other guys, but hopefully maybe this year again, because they're all upperclassmen. They're all seniors this year. Bell, both Bells and Bird. You would think mm-hmm. last year, oh, they'll step in. They didn't step in. And so that's what I want to see in that position. Okay. Let's say Greg Bell, something happens in Angle or any, any of these players remain back. And then if Jordan or Chance can't do anything, it's like, well, they should at this point be in a senior on this team. Like they got Kagan Williams as well. He's a step behind them, but there shouldn't be a, too much of a drop off when you have all these upperclassmen who should be good. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I'm looking at for this team. They need to provide some extra guys behind him just in case. And I think I think the same holds true if, if perhaps to a slightly lesser extent when you, when you look at the wide receivers when you look at the pass catchers as well, because they may not have a superstar in the bunch, but they have guys who are, you know, have been around for a while. They, they, they didn't, they aren't really losing anybody who was a major contributor from last year's team. And, you know, if they can rediscover at least some explosive element in the passing game, again, I think they have the talent at receiver in order to make those things happen as well. Like Jesse Matthews, I think is perhaps the perfect encapsulation of that. Like, his overall stat sheet from last year doesn't necessarily blow you away. It was only, you know, 23 catches, 314 yards, and and one touchdown. But you look at, like, how he did relative to the rest of the team. Did you realize that he had half of the 20-yard passing plays they generated last year? But how many total passing plays did it have over that many yards? Twelve. <laughs> okay, not a time. That's and, still good. And he had six of them. That's it's. No, that's good. I was just kind of half kidding about the Aztecs offense, but that's not if you any, that's a deep threat, right? You want that? Yeah, and but you know, and I think you know if they can find just secondary pieces that can step up, like we've we've seen it from Kobe Smith in the past, for instance. You know, he I believe he missed a couple of games last year, um, but if he's back to 100, percent you know, he can be a difference maker. We've seen that from him. You know, maybe we'll see a little bit more from Daniel Bellinger at tight end. Maybe we'll see a little more from the role players a little bit further down the depth chart, like, you know, B.J. Busby, Elijah Koth, you know, Isaiah Richardson. All of those guys can step up in from week to week and, I think, be a contributor. It's just a matter of getting a little more, which, again, just comes down to getting more consistent quarterback play. That's what it all comes down to the team. Like, Greg Bell, before he got hurt, had 11 catches. So they have, like, Bellinger, 21 catches for a tight end and what, when they play eight games. Mm-hmm. That's not bad, but play a full season, get the 30, 40 catches. They just, you're right, they just need to find the guy, consistently find a couple guys. Like, they just need something. The receiving game has always been an issue, but there are good spots spots to find. Jesse Matthews are about 14 yards per catch. Mm-hmm. However, 51 of his 326 was one play. So that's yeah. that to consider as well. And maybe that, I don't know, it's, it's just a unit where it's, and again, we're all going to come back to these, all the quarterback. Well, it's always back to the quarterback where, and also the offense, what's the offensive coordinator? What's Brady Hoke really wanting to accomplish offensively? Is it just run the ball, get it to your guys who can run extremely well, and then we'll pass as needed, and hopefully 
we run, but it's like the thing, you, there's advanced numbers, you see it's like, you read, and it's weird, it's like running teams run, but you're better off, like, almost throwing on all these downs, even if that's not your strength. Like, I forget what it was, I keep saying I'm like a million times, apologize, but there's something I read where it's, like, okay, first and ten, you, you should always run to get first and ten, but technically second and ten might actually be better than, or like, just because, just basically what it means, I wish I had a front of me, I just kind of popped in my mind. I mean, what, what you're alluding to is that three yards, in a cloud, three yards in yeah. a cloud of dust is outdated. Totally outdated, but there's a better way to put it. I just, I just thought, brought it to my mind, I'm like, oh, I remember this, but you're better off throwing. It's me, oh, here's what it was. You'd better, it, you'd have a better chance of getting more yards. Let's say you get first and ten, you run and get like one, zero or one yards. But if you go second and it's second and then you on first down, you lose yardage, you're still better off throwing the ball than trying to get those yards back running because then you put mm-hmm. yourself behind and behind. So if it's second and nine, okay, what are you going to do? But if it's second and 13, like some teams will just run to get back to the line of scrimmage. I know it, it sounds kind of basic if you really kind of, if you take out all the, well, let's do this, let's get five yards here, make it third and manageable or whatever, fourth and short to go for it. Basically, you're better off throwing the ball on every down, essentially. That's why there's that one high school coach who got hired by, who was a Presbyterian, who's never punts. He's won multiple high school state championships at a level. But the point being, as they don't think this way because it's different, it's new. Because it's not that you need to throw, do a Mike Leach or a Gus Melzone or Urban Meyer did when they were coming up or Chip Kelly. It's basically, and, and Brady Hope has been around, like he's been to these different places in high levels. Point mm-hmm. being, it all comes back to quarterback. And while they're running, I'm not saying they shouldn't go with their strength of running back, but they might want to. It's almost like it's the let's go back to that Nevada game. They did the basic opposite of what they normally did. They threw and look how successful it was in that first half. They like why are they throwing the ball so much? They're not running the ball on, on first down. They were throwing like on first and second down on a ton of possessions, and it worked extremely well for them. So that's a game where they need to look back and say, this worked not because we're playing Nevada, not because we wanted to outthink them. Because I remember that game I was even talking with you and probably our recap and on Twitter, both teams were doing the opposite to try to outthink them. You don't need to outthink a team. If you're better, you're better. If you're not, you're not. Yeah. But I think you can learn from that game. Well, maybe we can't throw it first and 10. And if we get four yards, that's great. We still have great running backs to get second and six and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not saying throw more, but. It's it's the thing too, and I said before New Mexico years ago when they were really like uh, well co division champs of Bob Davy their offense have a guy who can pretend to throw the ball if a guy yeah. can pretend to do something and be a threat basically that helps you so much open a million things up and that's why we come back to quarterback play that's why I like Jordan Lucas Johnson so much he's going to keep every team honest because he can run the ball himself he was accurate he, he he was able to maneuver the offense extremely well there's a long answer I was getting at but just Basically, just throw more and on early downs. You have the running backs to make up for it if you really, really need to. But find some receivers and take advantage of it because they have guys who are good enough. It's also a volume thing. They don't throw enough. They don't throw a lot because they don't throw a lot. So mm. imagine if they threw more and they were just as efficient running the ball, but the yardage and the um, bigger plays clearly always come from the passing game mm-hmm. because you don't see a running back averaging nine yards a carry. But I'll see. You'll see your like just for example here. A low-level receiver, B.J. Busby, last year, seven catches for 49 yards. He averaged seven yards a catch. Your best running back doesn't do that. Throw the no. ball. That's, I'm getting, that's, like, that's what I'm getting. Like, throw it a bit more. You could still be sufficient on the ground, 
but throw a touch more because your odds of you getting more yards through the air are infinitely better than your best running back. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that, you know, better quarterback play, I think, will have an effect on, you know, and maybe more athleticism at the position will have an effect on how the offensive line plays, too, because it's sort of an interesting thing. Like, when you look at the more advanced metrics, like I mentioned the yards per carry by the running backs earlier, which was awesome, but you know, the advanced metrics for that are more geared towards kind of examining offensive line performance are a little more mixed when it came to looking back at the Aztecs last year. Like, line yards per carry, for example, they ranked 106th nationally. You know, opportunity rate, which is just getting those running backs to the second level consistently, right around the national average. Um, power success rate, which is just short yardage situations, they were 75th overall, so slightly below the national average. And when it came to giving up sacks, I think that was one thing that really burned them a lot last year, especially when Baker was under center. As a team, they allowed a 7.4% sack rate, which was 90th overall. And I have to imagine yeah. that's going to get a little better regardless of whomever's under center. I think the key for them will be replacing the guys who were able to you know, latch on in the NFL level, like Jacob Capper's gone, uh, Kyle Spaulding is gone. Both of those guys signed NFL free agent contracts. And I think it's a matter of kind of keeping, you know, getting the same kind of consistency that they had last year along the offensive line will help them as well. The only real significant absence that they had was William Dunkel, who started the first three games, then the missed time because of, you know, he was a casualty of that COVID-related weirdness, like contact tracing and things like that about halfway through the year. But, you know, beyond that, you know, they have Zachary Thomas, who I believe is slated to move from right tackle to left tackle, so he's going to be protecting the blind side of whomever's under center. Um, you know, like I said, Dunk will be back, Carlos Martinez will be back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not like they don't have, or a, a, you know, a, it's not like they have a dearth of experience coming back. And I should mention Alama Uluave as, as well. You know, he started every game at center last year. And as we all know, Having a good center, especially when you want to run the ball like that, um, you know, maybe he's one of those underappreciated guys we should be talking about more. And so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they replace the guys that are that are leaving. You know, are they going to give Dominic Gadino another shot? You know, he's a guy who's a senior who has had you know plenty of you know playing experience in the past. Um, I think the idea is that they'll pencil in Brandon Crenshaw Dixon at right tackle and Thomas Estead. You know, he's a guy, he's only a sophomore, but he's 6'6", 320. Exactly the kind of exactly. no offensive you've been accustomed to seeing over the last he's a big year. guy out there. Yeah, so, I, you know, the offensive line is, is part and parcel with the other skill positions and that I think they have a comfortable amount of depth. It's more about just, you know, ensuring that the guys that they have penciled in to replace the guys that are leaving are, are up to snuff. And if, like, like you said at the very beginning, if they stay healthy – then I think it's almost a matter of course that they're going to be better when it comes to a lot of those advanced metrics than they were last year. So what do you expect the offense to be overall to say they are? Because we mentioned how bad they were in SP+. Is it a thing where if they're 80th overall, that's such a big improvement? That's basically a 20% jump that they'd be like instant contenders? <laughs> if they were 80th, that would be a monster improvement. I know. I, I'm just saying, what were they last year? Were they, oh, wait, they were 115th. Sorry. They were they were 119th. The year Sorry, before, my, my they were 120 spots higher. <laughs> yeah, the year before, they were 122nd. And then the year before that, which, if my math is correct, was 2018, um, they were 92nd. What if they're and, 92nd? And, and that was when they won 10 games, was it not? 
Probably. They had, like, those th- multiple years. They won, like, 32 games in, like, three seasons or something. So is that what they need to be, a top ni- a top 95 defense to be a 10-win team? Or I think they were. I think that was the year they went seven and six and lost a few games down the stretch. But close. You my point. Like they, but I mean, it's the, like, the capacity is there for them to rebound. Like it hasn't always been like this, which is, I think, an important piece of context to keep in mind. Definitely. And and you know, I think especially on the side of the ball, we've talked about so many returning guys that you know, as we mentioned before, one of the narratives surrounding the entire conference is just returning production. And even though the Aztecs as a team are sort of on the lower end. Like, they're still returning 70% of their team production. And I have to imagine, like, without a breakdown of what it is on offense versus defense, that the number on offense is probably higher, which I think is going to be better for their chances to just, you know, we mentioned, you know, battling defensive progression to the mean. I think you can be optimistic about offensive progression to the mean as well. I would hope so, because that's what... and. Again, if Greg Bill is healthy the whole year, they might be five to ten spots higher. Yeah. Just for him, what he can do. So we got the offense. I, I get, again, it's, it's hard to tell to say, pin me down. Hey, there'd be number 70th offense or 122 or 130 of 130. It's, to me, it comes down to who's the quarterback. And if it's Lucas Johnson, I have more confidence in the offense being good. So mm-hmm. that's where I kind of stand. It's like, it's what we know what it is. Like, they're going to run the ball a lot. They're going to run it mostly well. It's how much they pass it, how much can the quarterback bring something different, which Johnson did with his legs a bit. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm sitting. So defense, it's amazing. It's great, right? We always know it's going to be good. Credit to Kurt Maddox. Because, I, I mean, yeah. they, they, they they were 15th at SB Plus on defense in 2019, Rocky Long's last year. Yeah. I wasn't sure that they were going to be better than that. Like, I didn't think they would be much worse if they were worse. Yeah. But again, you were talking about a, a unit that was top 10 last year, and that was basically, for lack of a better term, scary on all three levels no of, of the look, defense. Look at the guys in the NFL right now. The three three five is alive and well on the Mesa. As it should be. Yeah. But the only, the only concern, I don't know, we're, we started in the backfield, the back end, where they lost a couple guys in the NFL draft, like Trick Thompson, Darren Hall. That's, that is a concern, but then again, Who's the guy we haven't heard of in a minute, and then we'll find out who's really good as well. Because uh-huh. they have got, you know what I mean? They have, we know who the guys have back there. Like, is it Patrick McMorris? Is it Trent Thompson? If all these guys back there that are really good, it's just going to be a matter of, oh, yeah, we'll have this guy who's going to be really good. Like, four-year starters, four-year letterman type of guys like Tyler Hawkins are really good. It's just going to be Matariza, or sorry, not jeez, I'm staring at the wrong thing. I'm looking at something. He's a punter, duh. But they have guys who, we sort of know, but we'll know in like week two. Oh, that's your guy right there is going to be the Aztec yeah, now defender. Is, now is their turn in the spotlight. Yeah, Trent Thompson, guys like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They they will be because we chatted with Justin Mel, and there's a couple weeks like or sorry, about probably months ago, right before the draft. There's guys when he's chatting with I think Trey Thompson or Darren Hall, one of the two. They're saying we have five guys starters from last year who are going to be in the NFL. Us and then whoever's coming after us who started with us. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be multiple guys in the NFL on this team, current starter for that secondary. And I think that's – the only reason I'd say it's a big big concern is because of what you lost. We still don't know who's going to step up, but it's going to be there. It's like if you look at the conference, other positions, like I wouldn't go too easy. Air Force running backs, it's going to be Dallas production, but who, that's the only question you have. Or even with Boise State running back to a lesser degree where they've had so many guys drafted the past 
decade or so, almost the past decade. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, who's going to be the main guy, the potential defensive player of the year? I'm not concerned. It's just knowing, like, oh, it'll be that guy maybe. We'll see. But they're going to be awesome. And that's where, you know, strong recruiting it really gives you the, the willingness to give the Aztecs the benefit of the doubt because, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the veteran names coming back, you know, Taylor Hawkins, Trenton Thompson. Yeah. McMorris was a guy who got really high marks basically throughout spring practice. And, you know, if he can come in and, and follow in the footsteps of like guys like Parker Waldwin and Tariq Thompson, that's going to be huge for them. Um, but, you know, beyond that, you know, Sidarius Barfield is a guy who's seen plenty of playing time. He's ready for, you know, a starting role. Um, and even guys who maybe, maybe less familiar to, to casual Mountain West fans, like, you know, Dallas Branch, Noah Tumblin, you know, maybe they won't be as good as a Darren Hall right away. But maybe. again, you, you can give, you can feel good about their chances to at least hold their own. And, and not necessarily subject the Aztecs defense to like a huge decline when it comes to defending against the pass. Yeah, they'll be fine. There's not, like I said, we're just kind of going in circles and we keep doing it. And plus, it's with the 3 3 5 where there's a guy who's going to be the linebacker position essentially. They can mix mm-hmm. up so much. So there could be a guy where, well, he's not necessarily the best at something like a defending pass. Well, they're going to be good. I'm just my point being they have versatility there. They can move people around who they realize who is going to be better than not. But like when you look at what they did last year and the past however many years, like past defense, they're always at the top. They're not going to pass the interceptions. They're always there in the secondary. So I have little concern despite losing two NFL guys. And, and, and the, and the upside too is that, you know, the closer you get to the line of scrimmage, the better you can feel about their chances to hang around and make some and do some damage to to opposing offenses because you know you look at the linebacker court for example they've got some big names to be sure but yeah I mean all of a sudden you're looking at a unit where you've got maybe five guys who could who could feasibly start at those three positions and Aztecs fans would probably be pretty good about any combination of those five like obviously Caden McDonald is the guy who broke out last year in a big time way. Um, Maybe you know. I don't think anybody's going to forget Kaiba Tizino or anything like that anytime soon. Oh, but he was he was definitely like the, like the next man up with an exclamation point. And then you know beyond him, you know Andrew Alecki had a solid year. Cedric Lakalaka had a really solid year. And you know at the will linebacker spot, I think they're still trying to decide whether Michael Shawcroft, who was I believe a former four star recruit a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken. You know, whether he's going to step up or whether, you know, senior second Olubi is going to be the guy at the position. Again, five guys for three positions that, you know, could all make a, a very strong impact when it comes to stopping the run and defending the pass. No, totally. Get that, that depth and think of it too. Like you mentioned, three, three, five. One of those guys might be able to play that fifth position in the secondary as well. You so never maybe, know. Yeah. That's my point. So versatile, maybe, okay, we're so good here because or it could be a rotational type of thing where, okay, we're the fourth and fifth guy, but they're really good. They need to find a way to get them on the field. Well, let's take it that fifth secondary spot where you're kind of in between where you may be following the tight end or something or playing mm-hmm. like some sort of zone coverage underneath. So being that versatile and and deep, that's what makes this defense fun to watch, like for the what they can do at 3-3-5. Exactly. And, and they, they'll be great. So let's move up defensive line here because we'll keep moving along here. Again, the <sighs> Yes. You want to go, go defense, first? On that this? defensive line, that defensive line is going to be really good. 
Like, you mean Cameron Thomas is really good? <laughs> well, well no, I mean, Cameron Thomas is obviously the headliner. He's I'm like, just saying, yeah. yeah he's, he's a, he, was, what, he was a freshman All-American a couple of years ago, right? I believe so. I'm just saying, he started the top guy. Why not? Freshman All-American, pro football focus darling. Uh, and then you remember, oh, by the way, Kishon Banks is still there. He's also pretty good. And then they've got a big guy in the middle, Jonah Tavai, who maybe flew under the radar despite the fact he's 6'4 and 305 pounds. That, I mean, it, you're talking about just three guys. It might be the best defensive line in the conference. Quote tweet. <laughs> I don't know. You're <laughs> not wrong. They're always going to be that good. Uh, I'm looking at Athlon. They only have two of those three guys on there, just so you know. Oh, I know. Okay, I know you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, I know. I'm sure Aztecs fans know it, too. I'll give Steve a DM and say, Steve, what are you doing here <laughs> for an Athlon? But, no, you're right. Like They have um, everybody, those couple guys back there. And the defense is always good. So, again, it's like not to go back again, but it's whoever they bring in usually is going to be fine. And this yeah, unit and- is going to be very well above average and top two or three at worst. At worst, top probably second. And, again, you know, this is another unit that, you know, even if, you know, some of the guys up at the top knock on wood, if they suffer some bad injury luck, you know, there are guys behind them who have seen plenty of playing time in the past, like Julio Lecky, you know, had two and a half tackles last year. Uh, Kaki Neves has seen playing time. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I mean, it would be hard to say that it would be, that they could replace Cameron Thomas one for one if something like that happened. But again, like this is a defense that's deep and, I, like I said, you can have confidence that even despite kind of the personnel turnover, that they'll find a way to figure things out and be fine. It, like, even if they aren't a top 10 SP plus unit again, like, would it surprise you if they were a top 25 unit again? No. No, I don't think so. So what is this defense the your top notch in the Mountain West, like number one? Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. I'm just thinking, like, who if else? They're, if they're not number one, they're very close. Because, you know, I, I I would put Wyoming in that conversation. Sure. With all the guys coming back. Yeah. I think okay. you'd have to put Boise State in that conversation as well. So, I mean, they're, they're, I don't know if there's a clear-cut answer one way or the other. Okay. But but they're right there. Yeah. All right. Uh, do we need to do special teams? Is that something we have to do, or do we gloss over that? Because that's what I, I mean, I think we, we should talk <laughs> about special teams, if only because... You know, they aren't without questions as we're recording this in, in late May. Because, of course, Matt Ariza, very solid. Um, it's, he's one of those guys that makes you wish they did more than a two-deep when it came to, like, all-conference honors. Because he's been pretty good. And also, like, I guess he's practicing to be a punter, pull double duty, uh, well, in trying to replace Tanner Kuljian. He's also listed as the or for the place kicker, potentially, at the moment. Yeah, so I mean, I think I think the the ideal situation is such that you know that whoever they have coming in to compete with them at punter, you know, whether it's Jack Browning or Colin Hopkins, that one of those guys will win the job, so that Ariza can just be a field goal kicker because he's pretty good at that. Um, but I mean, and I think it's going to be especially important for the Aztecs to solve because you know special teams. We know from recent history that that's been an, a very important component of their success. And, you know, Tanner Colgian very quietly had a pretty good year last year replacing Brandon Heiklin. So 
whoever wins that job is going to have some fairly significant shoes to fill. And, you know, beyond that, of course, Jordan Bird is going to be back returning kicks, maybe some punts, Jesse Matthews back there. So again, you, you, they've got flexibility when it comes to the return game and that's something that they've been able to use to flip a field once or twice a season in really critical moments. And it would not surprise me if they just did it, you know, once again in 2021. All right. We'll see. No, it makes a lot of sense. All right. Uh, schedule time. Let's do it. All right. So we met, we kind of mentioned the non-conference slate a bit before. They open up, and we'll have some TV info here. We may kind of gloss over a little bit to mention because it's there. They open up home to New Mexico State, who, again, we'll talk a million times. It's here, what, eight times probably, I think it is? They're playing a lot of teams, yeah. So, also, it should be noted, Aztecs are playing their, you can't see this podcast, air quotes, home game, and Carson, California, still at Dignity Health Sports Park mm-hmm. as their home stadium on campus still gets uh, gets built. But, is there, like, the Mexico State's going to be really bad. They're going to be yeah, lazy. I, we could say good listen to last week's podcast, but it's kind of lazy on us, but do we want to repeat again? We're talking about the Aggies where they're not in the conference. They're struggling to make any money. They probably should be FCS football at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, what's there to really add to this game that San Diego State shouldn't win, like, honestly, at least 35-3? to three? Honestly, I can't think of anything. I, cause, you know, we saw New Mexico play a couple, New Mexico State rather, play a couple games in the spring not too long ago. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily call them encouraging results. They they went one and one and allowed thirty six points per game against Tarleton State and Dixie State. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's not ideal. Like, and and that was even considering the fact that they had a lot of turnover on both sides of the ball too. Like, you know, Roy Lopez, who I believe was like their best defender a couple of years ago, had transferred to, to Arizona last year. Um, you know, and, and Josh Adkins, I believe transferred. I want to say it was Texas San Antonio, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe Texas state somewhere in Texas, Texas. Uh, I, yeah. Something like that. Um, so they've definitely got a lot of, of questions to, try and resolve like you know Jonah Johnson I would assume is the incumbent quarterback yeah yeah 60% of his passes which is good but you know one touchdown against three interceptions which is not good while playing Tarleton State or whoever it's yeah it's that that Arizona Bowl win over Utah State's looking like it was an eternity ago let's put it that way Aztecs win right that's the easy way to put it yes Aztecs roll roll oh okay roll all right next game at Arizona we can almost say the same thing over at like sport, early sports books, Arizona win total two and a half. Yeah. I mean the, the Wildcats are starting over cause you know, Kevin Sumlin just wasn't able to get it done down in Tucson. And, you know, as a result, they have a new head coach, Jed Fish, former quarterbacks coach of the New England Patriots. Uh, definitely a lot different being a PAC 12 coach than being an NFL quarterbacks coach. And he's, he built sort of an interesting roster in the fact that they were pretty active in the transfer portal. Like they lost their quarterback on one hand, but then they also like gained a quarterback. So, um, you know, Grant Gunnell transferred to, uh, I want to say Memphis, uh, but they brought in Jordan McLeod from USF. Um, you know, they brought in Drake Anderson from Northwestern. 
They lost a couple of receivers to uh, Middle Tennessee and Texas, but they also brought in a couple of receivers from from Middle Tennessee. And Fish was able to, to convince a couple of key re- uh, veterans to, to stick around, most notably Stanley Berryhill. So I would imagine that that uh, 2021 is probably going to be a really hard reset. Like I don't know if it's like a full on year zero situation, but I mean you're you're talking about a team that. You know they were they were losing players to UNLV. Let's put it that way. Um, you, so there's like a. Lo- oh, I got some jetfish trivia for you here. Okay. Did you? He apparently doesn't stick around any place more than a couple years, which is weird, which is very interesting. He has coached just like Minnesota's offensive coordinator, Miami Florida offensive coordinator, like Jacksonville Jaguars offensive coordinator. Do you want to guess what position he held two years ago in the NFL, or I guess three years ago in the NFL, offensive coach? Was he like a Jacksonville Jaguars offensive coordinator or something? That was what I mentioned years ago. He was a – this is 2018, so he also was UCLA offensive coordinator, so he does have that college experience more than uh-huh. we thought. But in 2018, his official title with the L.A. Rams, senior offensive assistant. What kind okay. of title is that? And then the year after, assistant offensive – well, assistant offensive coordinator. But senior offensive assistant, what is that? That's just like going to Bama and being an analyst for a year or two. I guess. It's weird. Like, his job career, like, his longest position was a defensive quality control coach, or no, excuse me, offensive assistant with the Ravens, 04 to 07. He's had, like, 20 jobs and no more than, like, at max three years, mostly one-year jobs. So going back to, like, he's had three like three years, three teams, where it's more than one year on a team. Mm-hmm. That's just a weird thing to bring this guy in. Right? Like, the hire seems kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I think the early returns, just based off of, you know, what I've seen from from places that cover Arizona football, like Arizona Desert Swarm over SB Nation, it seems like he's been, like, a, a mildly pleasant surprise in the early going. Like, recruiting's going fairly well, and, and even if they had a lot of personnel losses, they've also brought in a ton of people on the, on the transfer portal as well. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like 2021 is going to be pretty. Like, this is exactly the kind of Power 5 team that San Diego State should be able to, you know, go in and, and beat up on pretty convincingly. They'll be, what, 6-1 versus Pac-12 or something, wherever the record is? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they have the graphic ready already. And of course. They, it, it's a victory. Like, there's not much I can say to Arizona with this type of hire, with what they've been doing the past couple of years, that they will beat San Diego State, even though it's at home. And a week before... They play a decent BYU team in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, not, nothing easy to start the season off, even though BYU's lost a ton, and we'll get to them when we, every team plays them as well. It's just uh, they're not playing like a Charlatan State or, you know what I mean, or Townsend, who San Diego State plays in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Then they host Utah. All right, get University of Utah coming to town, former Mountain West foes there. Um, I guess I should sort of chat about this a bit because I'm the Utah guy sort of a little bit. This is, again, we should mention at the home of CBS Sports Network, which is San Diego State football. <laughs> they should be trademarked, as always, because that's what the Aggies game is the first week. Uh, this game, Utah's going to be interesting. This could be the, the only the big the only big question people need to know about Utah is, is Charlie Brewer the quarterback, the Baylor transfer, and is he really that good that people are saying he's, like, really that good? Because there's mm-hmm. a million people out there who say he's the number one transfer of any, in college football, or number one quarterback transfer. He... Played in spring, yet head coach Kyle Woodyham's like, oh, we're going to still get this guy. Do you remember uh, this guy from Texas, Cam Rising? He was supposed to start last year, never played, got hurt. For a uh-huh. He's going to be in the competition. We're like, 
coach. You're hoodwinking nobody. It's not a. It's nothing. Well, I noticed. I noticed he wasn't even listed on the depth chart they came out with back in March. He didn't play in spring. That's why. Ah, okay. There you go. Because when he played the first game, I, I think it was USC. He was like he hurt his shoulder or something or arm or elbow in like the first quarter. So he hasn't played forever, and he's been there for a while when he came from Texas a couple years ago. So, but the team, like defense, this could be no joke, like a ten to three game. Because Utah's defense brings basically literally everybody back on their two deep, and it was really good last year. And they have guys like Devin um, Devin Lloyd, who NFL mm-hmm. draft picks, have multiple guys. So if this is going to be a game, it's going to be I, – I don't know to come out, but it's not offense is going to be non-existent for either team. Partially also for University Utah, they uh, with running back Ty Jordan, who – unfortunately was killed during Christmas last year. He would have been a really good, was becoming to be a really, really good running back, and that would have made a big difference in this game. But that incident happened around Christmas time. They have no receivers, maybe like Brent Keithy, a tight end. But they're, like, Utah and San Diego State are kind of like mirror image of each other's for the most part when you think about it. But Utah is just like a step above in a handful of places here and there, specifically offensively. Well, I complain about Utah's offense being bad. It's still miles ahead of San Diego State outside of uh, – Running game, I guess running game's been good for Utah the past couple of years, like Zach Moss and Devontae Booker, but these teams are almost similar, but Utah just has a bit more oomph for their team. And How, how is Britton Covey still on the Utes? <laughs> Better question, how is he still getting playing time on the Utes? He's that's still apparently he's listed as a starter. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know what's, uh... I, that's a little joke there. He, uh, well, he went on his uh, LDS mission a couple of years. Got the extra year back. I think he actually got a redshirt injury a couple years ago. He's been oh, around. Yeah. It's a long time. I think this officially is his last year. He actually, to be fair, last year he actually played pretty, played pretty well. Mm-hmm. But the year before, like, he was nothing. So, yeah, he's just had – we've gone for a couple of years. He got hurt a year. I think he had a redshirt year in there with recovering. So he's been, like, honestly might be year eight from high school to now just about, which is right, pretty weird. But, like, overall – I, I'm going to pick Utah to win because their defense is much better. And I do have high hopes for Charlie Brewer to be a pretty good quarterback. Either quarterback, I think Utah's better, whether it be Cam Rising or Charlie Brewer. Yeah, it would not surprise me if this was a fist fight one way or another, but I also have the Utes winning that one. I'd be close. I wouldn't be shocked. Like, even though I love my Utes, I wouldn't be shocked if Aztecs win because they're really good. Like, Greg Bell's really good. Defense is really good. It just there's a couple of things that Utah probably does a bit better, has a bit more talent overall, just a bit. All right, then mm-hmm. Townsend victory, New Mexico victory. Anything to add on? Well, we're not we're not even going to talk about Towson. Why? I mean, we can talk about that for like sixty seconds. Okay, you get. I'll the time, but you go, go for it. Okay, so <laughs> Towson, one of the an FCS team that didn't actually play this spring. They for they uh, they forewent. I forget the exact past participle for that. Um, but they did, they did not play this spring. But you know they've got some interesting pieces. It'll be it'll be fascinating to kind of see where they're at by the time they come to, to Carson next fall. They they do have Jawan Pass at quarterback, who I, I would assume is probably the, uh, the has the inside track to the starting job. He's a former uh, Louisville starter, I believe. They've got, uh, you know, two of the top three receivers coming back. So it's, it's a team that might be able to do a little something. I mean, I'm not, of course, I'm not expecting the Aztecs to lose this game. But, you know, I'm, I don't know if that's been 60 seconds or not. We can move on now. We're good. Let's move on. Victory, right? Okay. Yeah, that's a victory. 
That's why it's good. Interesting to note they didn't play, so that could just be a unique note about this game. All right, this is this has been your Towson minute. There you go. They go. They host New Mexico. There's no issue there, right? They got this game. Yeah, I think that's a win. Yeah. At San Jose State, this is the uh, big game of the year for them. I think conference wise, because when you look at who they play and what the big games are, if they're going to win that division, because we don't know it's going to be tough. It's going to be this game because it's on the road. There's a lot of tough games, but this is the start of that stretch where look at the stretch they're playing at San Jose State, at Air Force, who's never easy even though replacing a couple guys, host Fresno, at Hawaii, host Nevada. That might be the hardest stretch in the conference. No gimmies anywhere there. Nothing. The closest one is maybe Air Force, and that's not going to be easy mm-hmm. just because we know what Brad Roberts and they like to do. So when they started at San Jose State uh, – a part of it, if I'm incorrect on this or ignorance, did they even play last year? Did that game happen? Did they play who? San Jose State. Did it happen? I don't know. Yeah, recall. they did. San Jose okay. State won that one. I know we mentioned it before probably. I'm like, there's a couple of games. Like, did they play that West Division team on their schedule? The, I, the only one they didn't play, if I remember correctly, was they did not get to play against Fresno State. Yeah, I got it here. Yeah, they played everybody else. And you mentioned like that was the close game before, and that was one of Carson Baker's actually pretty good games. We had 261 yards. And maybe there's something there. They, in part of it, they're down a little bit. But from what we know about San Jose State, we're not going to dive extremely deep in these league games. It's just we cut, we'll match every week. Nick Starkle's back. Tyler Evans is a running back who could do uh, some damage. They have, have Cade, Caden Hall, who's brandy defensive player of the year. It's going to be when you look at these teams. You're a bit higher than San Jose State. I'm still I still like what they did. They were great last year. I'm still not going to anoint them to maybe win like eight plus games or nine plus games. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But I think. The difference here, if you're giving it an edge, it's uh, it all for me. It always comes down to who's better on offense for these two teams. And, to, and this one, they do they do things better than each other. Like San Jose State's going to throw the ball better, Aztecs going to run the ball better, and that's where it comes down. Like who's going to do that better? And I know the defense is better for San Jose State, but they Spartans still have plenty of good talent. So this is going to be. I'm leaning more towards you of picking San Jose State to be really good this year or be well above average and be those contenders of those three to four in the West. I I don't know. What, what's your thought on this game? Because it's tough when it's on the road. I'm, I'm not 100% sold on San Jose State keeping it going. But, yeah, I, it's going to be it's a tough one to pick right now because what's far, are they one-year wonder or are they going to keep it going? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to riff for a moment. Do it. And I'm and I'm going to talk about that stretch that you just mentioned, you know, from from the the San Jose State game to the Hawaii game, or to the Nevada game, excuse me, and and point out that Bill Connolly had noted that you know when you look at you know win probabilities based on projected SP plus rankings, right? Mm-hmm. Every single one of the those five games in that stretch, San Diego State has a win probability between forty two percent. And 61% against all five of those teams. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, a, great, it's a great big massive uncertainty in the middle, at least at least as far as SP Plus is concerned. Personally, I, I'm feeling a little better about the Spartans and the Aztecs right now. Why is that? Because I think that I'm sort of like withholding judgment until San Diego State proves that they're just more effective consistently on offense. That's yeah, that's the problem. But we're, we're doing this Memorial Weekend essentially. It's like, ooh, what do we know, and what do and, we not know? 
and and San Jose State is is no slouch on defense themselves. Of course, they have the defensive player conference player of the year in in Kate Hall coming back, as well as you know other key players on in pretty much every level of defense. So I would not be surprised if it was as close as it was last year. But I've got, I've penciled in the Spartans to win that one. Who I. I'm going to San Diego State, but as you can tell, my deportation or my um, whatever you want to, I can't think right now. My uh, hesitation, hesitation. There we go. I'm still going to San Diego State to get the win because I'm not going to be. I'm not sold on San Jose State of being a team that can beat these top top contenders every year. So that's where I have there. And look at the stretch. I'll just kind of give my record overall. The only game, honestly, I have them losing that stretch is is home to Fresno State. I have them beating Air Force on the road, but then losing to Fresno and and winning at Hawaii and. uh Oh, wait, no, my bad, hold on. I had to adjust that. They're not beating Nevada either, sorry. A little mistake. So there. that's what, three and two in that stretch? Three, yeah, three and two. I, look, I had the wrong, I whatever, schedule mixed up. I have three and two. Um, it is interesting to have me have them win on the road at Hawaii, but uh, but like that's where I'm sitting with them. For I think Air Force, they'll have enough to beat them, even though it's on the road. That's just, do you have the percentage of SP Plus for that particular game, or is that just something for, you For the Air Force game? Yes. Uh, they give San Diego State a fifty-two percent chance in that game, so it's essentially fifty-fifty. They're all almost—they're all toss-ups essentially, right? Pretty much, yeah. For that forty to sixty range, I just think they can do a bit more than Air Force. But that stretch, like Fresno's three, I pick Fresno. Their offense is more is much more superior, at least specifically at the moment, and probably in reality when the season gets going with Ronnie Rivers and Jake Hayner and the receivers they have. Hawaii. I probably should make that a loss just because it's on the road. Hawaii has an offense, and their defensive coordinator does good things when they're set up. Especially, like, imagine what he could do against a bad San Diego State offense, essentially. Right? Well, they got blown out of the water last year. I know. That's the weird thing about it. That's just the weird thing about it. Like, it wasn't close. It was, uh, what, 34-10? That's the Greg, that's the Greg Bell show. Maybe yeah, that's because, and like I said, we're not going to delve too deep into it because that's because the Warriors lacked answers up front at that point, but not later on. Yeah, yeah. So what's I your record? You're a little more optimistic than I am in this stretch. Yeah, no, I, about in this entire oh, stretch. Oh, just see. So, what do you have? I, I assume you have them. You told me you're losing to San Jose, right? Yeah, I've got them beating Hawaii too. Uh, and and that's it. One and four? Yeah. Send your angry tweets too bad. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> I can see, like, you're not out of line by saying that because of what they're playing. So you have them losing at Air Force as well? Yeah. Interesting. So what what makes you have them that win at Hawaii compared to, like, just say Air Force? Because I think those two teams are reasonably comparable on what their record might be. I mean, I think that the big difference is that Hawaii – relative to what I thought they would be last year, they weren't quite as effective throwing the ball as I might have expected. And yeah. I think that I think that you need to have a semblance of being able to do that in order to keep the Aztecs from just, you know, stacking up and, and defending the run, which is, you know, why I think that they are more likely to stop Hawaii's ground-based attack than they would be for, like, you know, Air Force. And I think that is kind of the difference between the two. So you don't have faith in Cole Turner, that's what you're saying. Or Calvin Turner, that's what I'm hearing here. <laughs> I mean, I like Calvin Turner. <laughs> he can't do it all. 
but I, I, I could see a situation where, where San Diego State forces him to be kind of a one-man show and Siobhan Cordero is running for his life, much like he was last year in this matchup. No, that, that makes sense. The defense is so good, but that's that's a bold statement to go one and four. That might be our front runner for the bold pick of the year so far. Hmm. Well, we're only two teams in. There's a long I, way to go. I've, I've, I know. Okay. I do. Okay. I do. However, have them beating UNLV. Oh, shocker! Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Williams is not going to rush for 400 yards in this game. Probably. Uh, not. They end up with Boise State the final game of the year, and this is the uh, 9 a.m. local kick time on Fox. So, or no, no, excuse me, not fuck, CBS, apologies, CBS. Um, how's that going to be for ASIC fans who have to drive at least an hour away for a game that kicks at 9 a.m.? And that's on Black Friday, right? It is on Black Friday. So what you do, you stay up all night, <laughs> you go to Target and Walmart at 5 a.m. in L.A. area, you go to the games, is that what you do? You delegate, that's what you do. You delegate. Like, if you're, if you're anything like my family, you get, like, you know, three or four newspapers the day before you get multiple copies of the ads. You you pick one person to go to one location, and then you that's how you get everything that you need. And then you go have breakfast somewhere afterwards. Or in this case, you just you go to Dignity Health Sports Sports Park. I had another go off topic because we haven't done it forever. But I had the best. It wasn't a Black Friday thing, but it was kind of cheating and sneaking to get it. Like they do deals early and earlier, and. I'm right by a Target, and they're setting up for it on because they're open Thanksgiving Day. Like all these stores do that, not this past year, but they're creeping into like 5 p.m. opening those type mm-hmm. of things. And we're still going. I'm like, oh, there's an online deal, and it's the Target closes like at 11 p.m. or I think 10 or 11, I forget. And it's Wednesday night because day before Thanksgiving. We go by there. Can we buy this? Like, sure, you could buy it now. <laughs> so we got one of the things that was probably technically just decent Roku TCL TV, which is fine and does well. But it's like, hey, walk in, Black Friday, get it done at 10 p.m. I'm done on Wednesday night, essentially. <laughs> Worked out extremely well. But this game, why are they – not to well, – we'll get these all the time, but freaking cross-division games the week before the season ends? Why? Didn't they learn their lesson? No. And plus, like, early Friday kickoff seems like the stuff of nightmares for a potential title contender like the Broncos. <laughs> Fresno, San Jose. Excuse yes. me, sorry. I had a little something stuck there. <laughs> David Fells, touchdown again. Uh, it's a, this is going to be a pretty good game. I don't know if this will be a division winner type game or, or I guess, a rematch game. But when you look, at, we've, we're going to get all these teams. My prediction for this week right now is going to get to it because we're – Coming up on just over an hour, don't they go too long? I'm taking Boise State to win the game. Same. Uh, but also, it's here. Here's how it's hard to predict. Outside of us doing this in May, and it's also the last week of the season. And again, these Aztec predictions and yours could change too because if we know the quarterback's going and it's Lucas Johnson he plays well, you could probably change half those picks that that stretch. But for what Boise State again, it's it's kind of lame to say. Well, they have consistency, but so does San Diego State. But it all, I think for me, for a lot of these games where we're picking them to not win, it's because of the offense and because of the disparity of how bad the offense is when you look at all the advanced numbers. That's where it comes down to me for picking victories and choosing losses for some of these games. Mm-hmm. Like they could have a, a trash game versus New Mexico and still win on, on – I mean, like a bad defensive game and still beat New Mexico. But they can't do that versus Air Force or Hawaii or mm-hmm. specifically not Boise State. Not that they have to play their best game, but this is their – what, their – out of all the games, number one and number two, them in Utah, Boise and Utah are their toughest games of the year. Nevada's up there too. Like this, their schedule is extremely tough because they play in the West. 
they have it's a good mix of home and road, but they're at home versus Boise State. It's super early, which it doesn't matter if it's early, whatever. This is just a, a team where I trust them a bit more. But it doesn't mean because Boise State, they have their own issues like Jake Sears, Jack Sears, excuse me, Hank Bachmeyer, who's your quarterback, either should be fine. Who's who's back there behind George Falani if there's an issue there and they have a good running depth. They're replacing some receivers, and they didn't use the receivers well last year. So there are reasons I could pick at San Diego State to win. But just from – and they have a new head coach too. So there's a lot of reasons for us taking Boise that might not be a good idea mm-hmm. because there are a good amount of question marks – for thinking about it, there's probably more question marks on Boise State than San Diego State. The only big question mark aspects is the quarterback and who's the next guy to be really good in the secondary. That's about it. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. But we'll still take Boise State against, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so dumb, but it's like Asics, like they can win this game. I'm not saying it's like the, out of all the games to win or lose, like when we talked about Nevada last time, any game with the schedule, I'll, you can disagree with me if, if you want, you might. But if we go game by game, I don't see a game I'm going to guarantee to pick them to lose, San Diego State. Not that they'll go undefeated, but they're, every team they play in there, they'd have a chance to beat all these teams. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's mostly a symptom of the fact that the defense is still probably going to be very good and, and would keep them in games most weeks. So what we're, what we're saying, that final 9 a.m. game, it's going to be a snore fest because there's no point since like 10 to 6 at halftime. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Make sure uh, nobody's overdosed on uh, on turkey. What's your um, reason, really quick, why would you take Boise over San Diego State? I mean, I think if, if San Diego State is going to trip over anything despite you know having a really strong defense, it's – coming up against a really strong offense. So, like, I would put, you know, Boise and, and Nevada and Fresno State kind of in that same group where I think all three of those teams are likely to have, you know, above-average defenses or be- or offenses, excuse me, or better. And I think that, you know, if, you know, they're in a situation where they can get, like, an early 10-point lead, that it, that the Essex might struggle to keep up, especially if, if any one of those teams wants to turn it into a shootout. Yeah, yeah, anything like that. If they're down like twelve points, they're gonna struggle. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic or hyperbolic, or whatever, or just being snarky. If they're down by about twelve points, they're not winning games. It's gonna be. I'd be very surprised if they could come back to winning game just on their offense. And that's the big concern of why. Maybe I'm a bit high in some of those victories, but yeah, anything they like if they play Nevada and it gets up like they did great versus Nevada last year, the coolest game. But if they're down. 21-10 in the th- midway second quarter, I'd probably just turn the game off because they're not going to come back and win. Mm-hmm. So that's where I stand on this team, and that's why probably both of re- That's good reasons why we picked them to not be, be able to beat Boise State this year. Could happen, but, again, Memorial Day weekend, we don't know the quarterback. We're doing a lot of guesswork here, right? We're going off historical um, reasoning to make these picks on some of them. Anything else you want to add about San Diego State? Our record. Um, what's, what's your record-wise there? So my overall record for them is six and six, Ooh, six uh, three and five in conference. Whew. And those six losses, could you remind people who they are again? If we, uh, uh, Utah at San Jose State at Air Force, Fresno State, Nevada, Boise State. Six and six for a team that's oh man, that West Division's tough. That's what we're getting. It's very difficult. I'm going 
Aztec fans, we ready to say thank you. Eight and four for your Aztec team. San Diego State losing only to Utah, Fresno, Nevada, and Boise State. And that would put them, what, five and three in league play and would not give them a division title unless there's some weird splitting between Fresno and Nevada. But based on my picks last time, you know that's the uh, – eh, we'll see. It could happen. Just saying, mm-hmm. go back and listen for my record last week. I'm not going to give anything away. We want people to listen to all of these, even more than once if we're giving out clues and breadcrumbs. Exactly. So eight and four, six and six. Is that going to get them to a bowl game at six and six? I think that I don't. I mean, I would be very surprised if they missed a bowl game this year. Makes sense. There's, I think, five bowl. I don't, well, with the way the league plays, I could see six and six being left out just because of. That means you probably like I'm not going to pick who you have, but if you have them six and six and who you're losing losses to, you probably have them behind Fresno, Nevada, maybe even Hawaii. That's which is maybe four and San Jose State. That could put them like fifth in that division. Mm-hmm. That's tough. I suppose, I suppose it could. <laughs> I'm not I'm not giving away your answer here, but I suppose it could. But that's it for today, San Diego State. Next week, it's up to you guys. Our Twitter poll, MWC Wire. We put it out kind of bracket style. We're down to ten teams left. Until there's one standing. We'll go through all 10 now. But, but MWR.com, we have schedule stuff out. We're doing our team previews, early out-of-conference stuff. So definitely go give that stuff a read. We'll get those cracking, and more will be coming down the pipeline. And, yeah, we'll be back uh, next uh, next week doing these every Sunday. So go subscribe. Give us a review. Let us know if you like us. I'd be appreciative. And we'll see you next time when we're talking. Uh, it could be Western Mountain Division, Matt. You know, we're not picking sides here. We're just going with what the people want. So, Just go vote on Twitter to make your voice heard, and we'll see you then.